Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. What should the church look like? Now, obviously, I'm not asking about decorations. Right. But what should it look like? What should it... Now, even when I say, what should the church look like, immediately, what everybody does is like, well, I mean, it should look like... And we, us, we take the word church, and we say church is this thing we go to, this event we go to. It's this building that sits on the corner. It's um, the one with the steeple, which was funny. The other day, I asked Luke. I said, hey, uh, does this church have a steeple? And he goes, yeah. And I go, does it? Yeah? I said, I don't know. Does it? Does it? Like, do you know? Does anybody know? You don't know or, you, or it does not? It does not. It does not have a steeple. It must have been fate that we moved into it, you know? Does it look like a church? No. Okay, we'll take it. <laughs> kind of what happens. Um, but what should a church look like? We take church and we say, well, maybe you should look like, um, this is I- almost identical to the church that I grew up in. These pillars, these side pillars, the ceiling, like almost identical to the church that I grew up in. Should it look like this? Pews or chairs? No, no, no that's, not really a good, that's not really the question that I'm asking. Church is not the building. It's not the event. It's not the thing we invite people to. Church is us. We are the church. So what should the church look like? Oh, do you mean demographics? I don't mean demographics. I don't mean should the church look like, well, we're, and I get to go to these, and uh, I won't. I get to go to some events sometimes, church events, to where it's full of, like, church ministers, and there's these little catchphrases that they, that they use, and these little sayings that um, are kind of like sandpaper uh, to me. Uh, we are a, and they come up with all these names. We are a non-denominational church, right? Um, which there's so many of them at this point, we ought to call ourselves a denomination, you know? <laughs> we are a denominational, non-denominational church is what we are. Uh, I went to a church in Rich Hill, Missouri one time, and it was called Sweetwater Tabernacle of God Church. <laughs> Sweetwater Tabernacle of God Church. Um, I don't mean demographics, because here's the deal, I, and, and I have a, a strong viewpoint on this as well. I think if a church looks like it's hitting a, a, a certain demographic, this is who we're after age-wise, color-wise, uh, money-wise. I think if you, if you aim at something like that, you, do you know what you get? A boy's home. That's what you get. You get an orphanage. Everybody's the same age. Everybody's going through the same thing. And there's nobody at the top and there's nobody at the bottom. There's nobody coming up through the ranks. There's nobody at the top with any wisdom. It's just this, me, this middle group of people who don't know anything. All of us trying to mix it up together. I've been a part of situations like that. Where we set out to say, we're going to hit um, men between the ages of 25 and 45. And this is going to be our goal. So we hit the goal. You know what we did next? is we sat around and we looked at each other because nobody could do anything. Like, nobody had any answers. 
Like, this is who we're going to hit. Now what? It's not a family. It's a boy's home, you know? It's not what, that's not what we want to do. So if we're going to talk demographics, then the church should emulate what the family looks like, what the family, how the family was organized and developed and invented by God, how it should look. There's a verse I want to show you. Titus chapter 2. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. This is a really great passage. It'll open up some really cool doors for us to talk about some stuff. Titus chapter 2. If you have the same Bible as me in 1984 NIV, um, it is on page 844. That means absolutely nothing to any of you, I'm sure. So. Titus chapter 2. What should the church look like? The Apostle Paul writes his friend Titus, and he tells Titus, I want you to go, and I want you to make disciples, and I want you to teach these people, but here's the specifics of what you're supposed to do, Titus. So go do this. And here's what he writes in Titus chapter 2. You must teach, this is Titus chapter 2, verse 1. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate. Check this out. Worthy of respect. Self-controlled. Sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, verse 3. Teach the older women to be reverent in the way that they live. Not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Verse 6. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. I think that's, I think that's kind, of, kind of funny, you know? Like, of all the things we're going to tell young men, be self-controlled, please. Quit... Just be self-controlled. That's the main thing. Don't worry about endurance. Don't worry about teaching anybody. Just keep it between the lines. That's what it is. In everything, set an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you. Verse 9, we get into something a little bit different. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what should the church look like? Well, let's start at the beginning. Older men. It should look like older men check it out it's not just any older men we don't just go around with a great big rake scooping up any older men and bringing them in you know what I mean and then we set them in seats and we say now we look more like mm, this isn't what it says what it says is this teach older men to be temperate worthy of respect we live in a culture that demands respect for no reason I don't know if you've noticed I need to be respected no matter what. You need to respect my opinion. You need to respect who I am. You need to, here's what the Bible says. You need to be somebody who's worthy of respect. Somebody who's worthy of respect. 
If there are old men who show up here and are a part of this congregation and they're not worthy of respect, you don't have to give them any. Do you have to love them? Yes, you do have to love them. Like the tax collector, you have to love them. But do you have to respect them? No. If there's somebody at the coffee shop you ha who just drives you batty, you have to love them. Do you have to respect them? No, they need to be worthy of respect. They need to be worthy of respect. What else should it look like? Well, it should look like older women. Why? Well, here's why. Because if you're going to have older women in your congregation, um, they need to be busy taking care of the younger ladies in the congregation. I don't know if you've been to other church, but typically, older ladies in the church, that's not what they like to do. What they like to do is run stuff. <laughs> you know? Let me tell you how this is going to go. Martha! This is how it typically goes. And what he's telling Titus is this. Listen, teach the older ladies that their responsibility is to not be slanderous. Old ladies, old ladies, when they get in a place to where there's nothing else going on, you know what they love to do? Just talk. Just talk about stuff. Just ratchet jaw about some stuff. And it's great. That's fine. Just ratchet jaw about some stuff. That's perfectly fine. The minute it turns into talking about stuff and that stuff happens to be other people on the, on the regular, now you're out of bounds. Now you're just a busybody. It also says not addicted to much wine. Why? I ain't got to go to work. I already retired. I just sit around, drink wine, talk bad about people. Okay, uh, that's not what this is supposed to look like. Go to church on Sunday, get crunked up through the week, talk bad about my neighbor. No, not where we're supposed to be. Not at all where we're supposed to be. What we are told to do, older ladies are told to do, is this. Check this out. Teach younger ladies how to do life. Teach younger ladies how to do life. Older ladies, you can look around in this congregation and you can spot trouble, trouble areas, can't you? You can look into some relationships and be like, that's not going to last. <laughs> you can. Why? Because you have the wisdom of older ladies. You can look into a thing and be like, that's not going to be good in the future. That's not. I've noticed things, things that only you can notice. I've noticed some things. Your responsibility is to step into those younger ladies' lives. Did you notice? Not those, old, not those younger men. Into the lives of the younger ladies. And teach them how to love their husbands. Teach them how to raise their kids. Older ladies, if you notice little annoying kids running around here and you see their mommies running around here, did you see what the Bible just said? You have precedence to step into their life and be like, and you know, I'd like to talk to you about how you're raising your kid. Obviously, it's not going so well. <laughs> I noticed that a, a minute ago. Um, I had him in class, and I'd like to have a little talk with you as soon as we're done. What's going on? Older ladies, like it's right here. Like you can do it. You know what I love about it? Don't be slanderous. Don't be talking bad about people. Don't be getting drunk. You want to square off? You want to square off a, uh, a young mommy who's not doing a good job? Get right to it. Wow. The Bible is just, I mean, it will just let you run free in some areas. Oh, but I would hate to step on somebody's toes. Oh, well, you should. What else should it look like? Obviously, younger women. Specifically, wives. 
young mommies, young men, young husbands. We've got children, obviously babies. What should it look like? It should look like this. It should look like there's a full nursery and we've got an older demographic that, that holds everything together at the top and it's a group that we just honor and we appreciate and we love and that's, that's who they are. That we respect. That's what the church should look like. But that's not even really the question. The question is not demographic. The question is what should the church look like? And by church, I mean the people. What should we look like? And by look like, I don't mean how should we appear on numbers on a chart and a graph. What I mean is surely there should be a set of non-negotiable rules or not even rules, behaviors, not even behaviors, principles that we all live by and we all take and we all do in step beside one another and when we do, we look similar. What are those? Well, this series that we're walking through is about our, our uh, mission statement, our crest, uh, the one we're on today. Is this one right here? And that is Acts 2.42. And it's the meal. The meal. If you turn to Acts chapter 2, I'll read you this passage. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. This is talking about the first church. The writer is uh, the gospel writer Luke. This is part two of his series. Gospel writer Luke wrote Luke. And then he turned around later on and he wrote the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And this is his second volume to his friend Theophilus, which we've talked about before. So here's what he writes. In the first church, here's what they were doing. Uh, verse 42, chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. What should the church look like? The apostles' teaching, people, a group of people being devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That's what they should look like. This is a picture of what they should look like. Here's what is cool. This word right here, um, devoted to, is one of my favorite Greek words. Some of you will remember it because we made a really big deal about it at one point. And the word is proskarter eo. Do you remember this word? Proskarter eo. And it's this idea that we are trudging through going over the obstacles. It's put your back into it. The way I always see it is this is how you buck hay bales. Are you with me? How do you buck a hay bale? How do you throw one onto a trailer? You use your knee. You don't just use your arms, right? This is proskarter eo. You're throwing your leg through it as well. Sometimes you have to put your back into it. Here's what's really beautiful about that word is it, is, is it gives us absolutely no option for not doing these things because here's what the word means. Proskarter eo is broken into two different words, Carter eo and the word pros. So Carter eo means this, to show steadfast strength that, pre that prevails in the face of difficulty, meaning endurance. You push through the pain. We have a, a family mission statement that my family and I, we quote <sighs> four days, five days a week when we get up and we leave in the morning. If I don't happen to be there, maybe they don't do it, I don't know. But when I'm there in the mornings, uh, we do it. We pray in the morning before we leave the house 
and then we say our family mission statement. Now, it sounds really cheesy and really corny, but what we've done is we've developed this thing, and it has become the rule in our life. It's become the rule of everything that goes on, decisions that are made, is filtered through our family mission statement. We exist to please God by inspiring others, loving those around us, and doing hard things. I put doing hard things on the end because I have a house full of girls. That's why I put doing hard things. Here's what I've realized. God put doing hard things in there because he had me. That's why. And so, there's so it has affected my life more than it's probably affected theirs. Doing hard things. Pros Carter Eo is to push through hard things. You do not quit. So think about it. The apostles' teaching. How does Pros Carter Eo, how am I supposed to be devoted to the apostles' teaching? Well, that has to do with scripture. That also has to do with, and I'm, I'm not an apostle. Um, I'm just a guy who gets to talk to you about this stuff that you know, excites me. But when we get into a place, whoever you listen to, whatever you listen to on the radio, preachers that you might listen to, podcasts you might listen to, um, anytime you get in that place to where you're hearing somebody else put some sort of advice into your life, it's your responsibility to decide that you're going to hear the hard things and to decide whether or not you're going to accept things that you don't think are true. There's responsibility as the hearer. If I stand up here and I tell you a bunch of stuff, last week somebody came up to me afterward and they said, uh, you quoted the wrong verse. Did some of you notice? So I quoted a verse, I gave the verse, and I gave the wrong verse. And the lady comes up and she says, I looked in my Bible, but that's not the right verse in my Bible. Is that the right verse in your Bible? I said, hold on, let me look. I looked it up. No, it is not. I don't know what I wrote down. I don't know why I wrote that. I was wrong. I was wrong on it. Your, your responsibility as the hearer is to say, I wonder if this is right. I wonder if this is true. Yes, this ring's true. Yes, this is, yeah, that makes sense with what I've heard and what I've read in other places. It's your responsibility. It's also your responsibility to hear hard things, which I don't know that we do that all the time here, but I know there's times, there's seasons to where we take hard concepts and we push them out there and say, you have to grow. You have to grow as a Christian. It's your responsibility. Coming into this building on a Sunday, you get no points for. You with me? Like there's no points for this. You get no points for this. He's not, well, I mean, if it comes down to a tiebreaker, it's not coming down to a tiebreaker. You get no points for this. You come here so that you can do the other part better. You come here and you learn something, you connect with other people so that you can trudge through the week better. How do you cross-carter the apostles' teaching? That's how. Well, how do you do it with fellowship? Good question. Good question. So here's the next word for fellowship. Another great Greek word, koinonia. Koinonia means partnership. Here's what is beautiful about this word. It's really, really jacked me up when I read it. Jacked me up. Koinonia is this, partnership in a contributory sense. You know what we do here? We are consumers. This is how we see church. This is how I see church. I'm sure it's partly how you see church. I'm going to go and I'm going to get. We leave and we say things like this. Eh, he was off today. I really didn't get much out of it today. It's all about me. You know, I paid the money, I paid the price, swiped my card, did my thing, and I really didn't get much back, get much back on that deal. Oh, that's my fault? I mean, it's partly my fault. I mean, if I do a bad job, I mean, if I don't take my medicine or whatever it is, like, it might be bad. We might be confusing. I mean, it might be, 
But is it all my fault? Or do you have some responsibility on your side? Because if you showed up here to just take, you are now a consumer. A consumer. Do you know what the antonym for consumer is? Producer. Broker. Supplier. You show up to give. Fellowship is not show up. And why didn't anybody talk to me? I get this phrase every once in a while. I hear people say it. You know, there's not a whole lot of fellowship at Fellowship Regional Church. I hear that every once in a while. Not a whole lot of fellowship at Fellowship Regional Church. By fellowship, here's what they mean. Not a lot of dinners. There's not a lot of shaking hands. There's not a lot of people just coming over and being nice to me for no reason. Oh. Well, if that's what you mean by fellowship, you might be right. There might not be a lot of that. But if you want fellowship, then your opportunity is there. Because that means you contribute to the whole. Oh, great. Here he comes talking about money. Hey, mark it off. Throw money out the window. Let's talk about it on a different level. You want to? I mean, if you think money would be the hurt feelings part, let's talk about it on a different level. What are you giving when you get here? Take your checkbook and leave it in the car. What do you give when you get here? That's far more offensive than money. Far more offensive. You mean to tell me that if you look out into the congregation, you see somebody who is hurting, and you do zero about it. When there is a whole entire group of kids downstairs and we need teachers and we want men down there and you don't do it, that's zero contribution. What is your contribution? That's the question. What is it that you give? Take, now, watch what happens. Immediately, here's what goes. Uh, let's go back to money. Let's go back to money because I give money. I give money. Oh, now you want to talk about money? You didn't want to a minute ago. Now you want to? Of course you want to because that's easy, isn't it? Super easy. This is calling us to something different. What is your partnership in a contributory way? What is it? What do you do? What do you give here? What do you give to other people when you get here? That's the question. That's how you cross Carter Eto all the way through with fellowship. The next one is breaking of bread. And this one's cool. I would like to talk about this in depth. Um, Easter's coming, so we'll talk about some of this at Easter. But this is the communion part. This is the breaking of bread. Now, historically, this has, got some, this has got some weight to it because it has been different things. It was the Last Supper, the Passover. Jesus shares with his disciples right before the, the night that he's betrayed. He shares this meal with them, and then he takes the bread and he breaks it, takes the wine, and he says, this is the new covenant, which is in my blood. Take this, eat, take this, drink. Do this in remembrance of me. And so, this is what they did. They continued to do this deal. And here's the way it happened. It was meals. They got together for meals. The church got together. You know what they did for church? Food. I'm in. I like coconut cream pie. I don't know if I've mentioned that before. But it's awesome. We should do it. Like, that's awesome. But then, you know what? Culture changes and life changes. Then we get to this place where it's really like, do we really want to just sit around and make a lunch every single Sunday and do lunch here every single Sunday? Not really. Not, not, not really. I mean, sometimes it might be good, but you don't want to do that all the time. Sometimes, you know what I like to do? I like to go home and lay on my sofa and fall asleep. 
eat by myself, not look at you, look at the TV, not look at anybody, just completely ignore everything. That's sometimes what I like to do on Sunday. That's kind of nice. I don't want to do that every week. But so as culture changed and customs changed, it turned into this, the symbolic meal. So then they took one loaf and they took one glass or one loaf and one pitcher or one loaf and one bottle. And then they serve this as a representation of communion. So communion is this very vague thing. It's called the Eucharist, the sacrament. The, what else is it called? The Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table. This is... It's kind of, it kind of takes on this whole thing. But here's what's very cool. In, in the Gospel of Luke and in the book of Acts, the only time the phrase breaking of bread is used is in once in the Gospel of Luke and once in the book of Acts. Let me show it to you. Luke chapter 24, verse 35. Luke 24, 35. This is after the resurrection. Jesus appears to a, a couple of guys on the road to Emmaus, and they don't know that it's Jesus, and Jesus has not revealed to them that he is Jesus. And so they're sitting there, and they're getting ready to share in this meal, just this kind of coincidental meal. And we're, here we are, and they're sharing, and, and this mysterious man who's been walking with them asking questions about, so what's going on in town? And they're like, you haven't heard Jesus of Nazareth was crucified and then some people say he's resurrected and I don't know and we're just like taking a walk trying to just figure it all out and Jesus is like wow and they don't know who he is and they're sitting there okay verse 24 chapter 24 verse 35 they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem there they found the 11 and those who were with them assembled saying it's true the Lord has risen he has appeared to Simon okay then here we go. While they were with others still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and he said, Peace be with you. They were startled and they were frightened. We come back. Let me back up. I'm sorry. I missed the verse. Uh, verse 30. Chapter 24, verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, gave things, and broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he disappeared from their sight. The breaking of bread represents something else. It kind of evolves and turns into this deal. Is breaking of bread a time of confession? Well, I don't really like that. You have repentance as an option in your life on the regular all the time. You don't need it just for communion. So is communion a celebration? Well, in as much as you can celebrate the death of someone... So is it a celebration of the resurrection? Well, absolutely. And it's remembrance of the, crucif the crucifixion. It's just this big thing that we kind of have to like turn all the way around and look at all sides of it. And what it does, though, is it brings the representation, it brings the presence of Jesus Christ into our life. It does do that. Because it is the breaking of bread. When we break bread together, this is what we do. Now, what does breaking bread look like? Let's make it personal for just a second. Breaking a bread can look like um, when the fellas come through and they offer communion and you take it beside the other person, beside the people, the other people within the congregation. That can be the breaking of bread. But you know, the breaking of bread also works when you take somebody else out to eat dinner. The Jews used to say, a meal is wasted if Torah is not exchanged meaning scripture is not exchanged. 
When we sit down to eat with one another, if we share what is going on in our life back and forth, and we share Torah or we share scripture with somebody else, here's what God has done in my life, and this is what it brought me to. Here's this, and I give it to you, and you tell me something in fellowship and con- uh, um, in contribution to my life. Here's what God has done with me, and we're sitting there, and we're breaking bread. What will happen is something very, very mystical, and Jesus shows up. Because that's what happens with meals. It's a very spiritual thing. So the question is this. Who are you taking out to dinner? Who are you taking out to lunch? Who are you inviting over to your house? Who are you going to bring in? Who are you going to feed? You know, that's the thing we should do, right? To where we say, you know what? I need to help with this area. I need to give to these people. They need a break and I'm going to give them a break. I'm going to invite them into my home because that's just special, having people into your home. Yeah, but my house is always dirty. Okay, well, here's the solution. Clean it, then invite them over. Right? The last one is this, prayer. Prayer is also made up of two words. Pros UK, it is... To make a wish, this UK word, is to make wishes or make prayers. To make wishes or make prayers. The other one, pros, means head to. So literally, the translation is, is we will head to in exchange of prayers or wishes. This is what hit me right between the eyes, and now you can, I'm going to hand it off to you, and if it doesn't bother you, then that's fine, but it really bothered me. Have you ever complained about the fact that maybe God's not answering your prayer? Do you think God's ever complained that you have not answered his? I was like, well, thanks a lot, Lord. That's not really where I was trying to go with this sermon, you know? It's an exchange of prayers as I pray to the Lord and he prays back. Lord, here's what I need. Jared, here's what I need. Eh, I'll meet you in the middle. 55, 35, 45? an exchange of prayers that's the word my relationship with God is me not just ratchet jawing myself into this conversation with God or into a relationship with God it is also me saying here's me and I need to lay it out in front of you now I need to listen to what you want from me go ahead and speak it is to exchange wishes it's to exchange prayers Um, on Court Street 1876 Alexander Graham Bell sat in his Boston laboratory and made the very first phone call ever the phone call was witnessed by investors curious people and even doubters the call was to Mr. Bell's assistant Thomas Watson he was two miles away and of course this is absolutely mind blowing right like mind blowing they're like he just picked up the phone and talked to this guy two miles away absolutely incredible so first phone call ever what did Alexander Graham Bell, or what did Alexander uh, where did I go Alexander Graham Bell what did Alexander Graham Bell say <laughs> well you know what That's, I've heard that too the, the other one is this come in here come in here I need you come in here I need you two miles away 
Can you imagine that this just, how crazy it was for their minds to understand? I don't know if you know the little guy that runs around here whose name is Knox Hufford. Do you know him? Okay, if you don't know him, you, you will see him after church. Um, typically, his hair is always going backwards because he's on a lightning bolt streak, like going, Wah! like racing somewhere, all right? So um, me and, me and uh, Kate were going to FaceTime him uh, earlier in the week, and we didn't get around to it. So yesterday, I had, I had, I had a minute, so I FaceTimed, and uh, I texted Lauren, and I said, hey, can I FaceTime Knox? I, I didn't see him last week at church. I wanted to message him. Yeah, 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 go ahead. So I FaceTimed him, and, and so uh, Knox has uh, Lauren's phone, and, and he answers it, and he's like, hey, hey, Jared, hey, hey, hey. And I said, hey, buddy, what's going on? Nothing, nothing. I'm playing with my friends. And he goes, I got stickers all over my face. Look. <laughs> and he had these little SpongeBob stickers. I said, those SpongeBob? He said, yeah, those SpongeBob stickers. So he said, I'm talking to my friend Jackson. He goes, you don't know him. And he turned to Jackson and he says, and you don't know Jared, you know. And so he goes on. He says, hey, I got this book. I got this book that I'm, that I'm looking at. And I don't remember what it was, something about, something about animals. And he says to me while we're on there, and he's pointing the phone to the book. And he says, can you see this book? I said, I see it. And it was one of those ones with animals on it. It's got these little uh, patches of cloth sewn onto it so you can touch them and you can feel them. And he says to me, hey, Feel it. <laughs> Feel it. I said, wow. I said, that is super soft. He says, yeah, it's a dog. I said, okay, awesome. I said, well, hey, I will see you at church tomorrow. He said, yeah. I said, okay, I'll talk to you later. He said, okay, I'll see you at church tomorrow. I said, okay. No, I hung up the phone. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with what we go through in this life. When we speak to God, he is not far away. When we say, can you feel this? And he says, more than you know. More than you know, I can feel it. But do you know what I'm going through? What, what this feels like? Oh, do I know what that feels like? 